and welcome to this episode of Med Talks, a podcast by medical students for medical students. Today we are very fortunate enough to have an incredible mind in studio with us, Dr. Anderson, and he will be taking us through some of the pivotal points of medical school, specifically pertaining to his own medical experiences. Hey guys, Joey here. Welcome to today's show. Hope you're excited for what we have in store for you and we're excited to be interviewing Dr. Kate Anderson. Kate, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I know, 100%. I think today's show is going to be a good one. So, Cade finished his MBCHB in 2018. Since then, he's been an intern at Helen Joseph Hospital and Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital Complex. He's currently a second-year intern, currently rotating in PEDS. How's that going? PEDS is awesome. I'm really, really enjoying it. Mm. I personally prefer the more medical fields of medicine and surgery. So the internal medicine and pediatrics and stuff is more yeah. my sort of field. I feel a bit better there. So oh, okay. I'm enjoying it, yeah. And the babies? No, they're very cute. <laughs> <laughs> we all love the babies. Yeah. Just don't touch them too much. You'll get sick. <laughs> Kate is also doing MPhil, which is a Master's of Philosophy, in Philosophy and Ethics of Mental Health. Can you tell me a bit more about that, Kate? So that's actually quite an interesting story. And for me, the whole journey of that started in sixth year when we had a symposium on ethics and ethics in medicine it wasn't specific to mental health it was just more just a general ethics symposium and it was the one time in med school where I really felt challenged to think differently it really like struck something inside of me so I approached the prof who had organized the symposium and just got talking with him and he then recommended this course and it was a course that I'd be able to do during internship which was nice because it's coursework you don't have to attend any lectures And you're obviously then able to do it in your spare time, which is minimal. (laughs) What spare time? (laughs) But I mean, it's just really enjoyable and has struck something inside me. So it's it's easy to find the time to do it. And you are passionate about it. It it actually doesn't really feel like work. Exactly. So that's where it all started. And yeah, I'm glad I did it. It's just given me a different insight into not only like psychiatry and mental health, but just the medical field in general and how ethics is involved and, and how pivotal it actually is yeah it is very pivotal and it's things that you can't really learn from a textbook yeah or you know, a, be taught like it's not like an oski and then there we go you you know how to do ethics now sort of thing it's just constant practice and constant building that emotional iq exactly mm-hmm. definitely yeah. okay well that's awesome so now we have a bit of a background yeah now uh, we we've uh, put a picture together of our our doctor that we have in studio. Oh, so <laughs> let's start on a lighter note. I'm aware you stayed in a men's medical raise, and I've heard through the grapevine that studying was a bit of a second priority after having a good time. <laughs> what was your experience of this? So I did indeed stay in a men's medical residence, and that was from first year to fourth year of med school. The reason I wanted to move into res, like I was really seeking a bit of independence. Mm. wanted to kind of get away from home and start doing my own thing and it's like the little things like cooking for yourself cleaning (laughs) after yourself and laundry and all those simple (laughs) things that you don't really do when you're in high school or whatever so I was looking forward to taking on those challenges and being a bit a bit more independent yeah and then obviously got thrown into this (laughs) environment which was was quite a culture shock in the beginning I mean I went to a private school in Joburg Mm. very like majority English, you know, and yeah. arrived at University of Pretoria. <laughs> very Afrikaans. Which is very Afrikaans. <laughs> and mm-hmm. obviously people from very different backgrounds that come yeah. and stay in this residence. Dumbass. So it was a real cultural shock in a way. Mm. But so beneficial. I'm glad I did it. And you 
build new friendships and you meet new people and there's lots of opportunities that come your way by staying in res. And yeah, definitely a lot of working hard but also playing hard. <laughs> Very <laughs> you need to important. Yourself out, so yeah. How hard you yeah. work is Is it true that medical students party the hardest? I think so. I, think I so. really wouldn't be surprised <laughs> after seeing those drips from Steve Vico, <laughs> putting up a line for yourself when the hangover is yeah, like a, a bit little, too hectic. A drip bar, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is true. I mean, Rez was very big on partying, and that's also something that you have to take in a balanced way as well. Yeah, it's very definitely. easy to get thrown from one side of the spectrum to the other, like studying all day, or then like the other side of the spectrum, yeah. partying all the time. So, I think Rez was good in that aspect, in that it provided all these opportunities whether it was social or cultural academic it like it was all there yeah and it was for you to decide how you were going to balance it out and what you were going to take and what you were going to leave so really really beneficial experience yeah that's a good point because at the end of the day no one's going to tell you how much you need to study how much you need to party how when exactly. you need to do your laundry like you're exactly. on your own then yeah this environment's very conducive of growing and, and yeah. they're gaining that independence. Exactly. the next step. Which was, as I said, like what, what I was seeking in choosing to go to a university that was not far from home, but away from home and then staying in res, obviously gaining that independence, learning how to balance things by yourself. It's, it's important. Yeah. So you would recommend, let's say, Merrick applying for medicine now to apply to these medical residences? I know there's a, a ladies one or female one, Kalitsia as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an awesome opportunity. And yeah, the people you meet, the different cultures that come together. It's also you inadvertently gain like a really strong support group. It's people that are going through exactly the same things as you. You're in it together. Yeah, you run into the deep end together. Yeah, and you can really like debrief with one another. It's people that understand your situation because they're going through exactly the same thing. That's very true. And when things get tough, that can obviously be really, really beneficial. Yeah, and I think especially in the medical realm, the medical degree, it's very difficult for people not studying it to understand, you know, what you go through because you're seeing things that are deemed quite traumatic and are traumatic and you kind of just, there's sometimes an attitude of you have to suck it up and that isn't the case, that shouldn't be the case, but you have these people to help you navigate this and to kind of just build that, you know, strength within yourself to deal with what you, what is placed before you. Exactly. No, it's, it, it was extremely valuable. Like I'm really glad I had that experience. And even the the friendships that you do make and those support systems that you do put in place whilst being in res and being in medical school in general, like that for me has now carried on into internship where I feel it's sometimes actually even more needed. Yeah. Like I feel the value of it more now, having those people that you can debrief with and that completely understand they're going through the same thing as you. So even though they may be further away, that support system is still there. Still there. You're still, still able to utilize it, yeah, which is oh, great. It's very encouraging to hear. Myself as well stayed. I stayed in res for my first four years, actually. I'm only in fifth year now, so <laughs> it's been the majority of my med school experience. But it was very, also, I have to agree with what you said. The support structure that you inadvertently gain through these friends you make, it's so valuable. Just literally that after a test to go sit and be like, guys. Things as simple as that, as you say. When you look back on them now and they seem like, light-hearted silly moments but being able to debrief even on silly things like that like how difficult a test was or just having a bad day is so important yeah can't agree more what are some of the most entertaining moments in the hospital that you can remember as a student i'm sure there's a good story or two behind this question <laughs> so there 
there is a very specific story that comes to mind and oh, obviously this is a <laughs> it's a question that you get asked a lot people will be like oh, like tell me some of the crazy stories that you've experienced in the hospital or whatever and as a medical student specifically i remember one very very clearly and we were rounding we were rounding with the registrar and the consultant i can't remember exactly which rotation it was but it was at Kalafong hospital mm-hmm. and we were rounding through it's sort of like a cubicle set up there so we were in the one cubicle seeing a patient at the bedside and everyone sort of like stopped and smelt a bit and something was really <laughs> smelling like not so fresh like a little bit like a number two <laughs> <laughs> and eventually like we turned around and realized that there was another patient behind us like literally eating his own feces oh <laughs> wow were you in the psych ward wow. so that, yeah it definitely was in psych which is surprising <laughs> but it was just like so bizarre and everyone just sort of stopped and looked at this guy and we were like how can this be happening what are you Next doing thing, the nurses are like running through like freaking out so it clearly had happened more than once because oh like, oh, not again kind of <laughs> they knew the protocol <laughs> yeah they knew the protocol they were in obviously like everyone went in and stopped him or whatnot but <laughs> i think i was pretty non-functional for the rest of the round <laughs> don't blame like, you I had to leave and go have a little chuckle outside but. <laughs> It's that and like silly little things like patients with COPD asking you for cigarettes and stuff. And you're like, like, wow, okay. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do that. You don't respect yourself. (laughs) So it is. It's like, and I can't really remember more, more stories in detail, but there definitely are every day you'll come across something or have some sort of experience that you can look back on and be like, what either like that was pretty weird or that was very funny or what if I, you know, what is it actually, what's actually happening? I think. For me, um, I always feel that when I come home, I always have to be very aware of who I'm talking to because some of the things that I say and some of the things that you experience are very crude or mm. like very, very disgusting. Yeah. So, um, for instance, trigger warning everyone. When I was, uh, I was working at Steve on call, I think where, oh yeah, we were in gym surge and we had a patient come in and he had a somersault carcinoma on his head, but obviously, you know, he wasn't able to really take care of it. I don't really know the situation around it. But a whole bunch of maggots had gotten into his head and eaten all the way to his brain. Yeah. And you could see his sinuses. And I was trying to take a history from him and examine him. And as I was examining him, these maggots were falling out of his head. And I was just like, what the hell? Is this my life? Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it is. Is, is, it this, is this what it is? Yeah, I've had similar experiences with like patients with diabetic feet in oh, we would, surgery, oh. and you you like unwrap those bandages and you, you how sort of how did it get how is this possible how did it get to this <laughs> yeah, how does it get to this point and yeah. what yeah. is an appropriate response from my side? Do I just pretend like no, this I've is seen this before. so normal? <laughs> just gonna nod and say like you know what? <laughs> I'm not about to go. faint from the smell, but you know what? That being said, it is something that we have to keep in mind: is that the patients that we are seeing come from a very low socioeconomic background and we might be privileged enough to have access to good healthcare. But a lot of these patients, like they come in when it gets really, really bad because they don't actually have any other choice. So, you know, for us seeing it, it is sometimes it is very absurd and sometimes it is patients that, you know, they don't care at all about themselves but sometimes there's a lot of other factors that come into play and it is shocking it is shocking and you know what we see in south africa i mean a a term that coined in south africa is called mob assaults and mob justice Mm. Um, and that's something that's notorious to south africa and it's when someone feels that 
someone in the community has done something wrong and the whole community turns on these people. And what we see, it's really traumatic. But some days, some of your days are very funny. And it's like, you cannot believe that this is yeah. this is what you're exposed and to. I think that's also how we cope with it. Because as you said earlier, the things we experience and the things that we are exposed to, they are traumatic and they are crude and they... Mm. Absurd at absurd, times. Absurd, yeah. So I think humor is a way of it's, that we deal with it. It's the only way. Yeah. And I think it's also something that we have to be aware of, that we are dealing with it with humor. Because it can... I think sometimes to an extent that can also become a bit unhealthy. Yeah. So mm. as long as you're acknowledging like, yes, the situation is absurd and it isn't normal or it isn't, um, normal isn't exactly the right word, but it's situations that people shouldn't really be exposed to on yeah. an everyday basis. And we, humor is one way that we deal with that and debriefing with colleagues and people that understand. But as long as we can, also not abuse that. I think it yeah. can also get to a point where... No, definitely. Yeah, there's a level of respect that you still need 100%. to maintain. Exactly. Yeah, but, I think, but I think there's times where the situations you find yourself in are so ridiculous that you can't... The only thing you can do is laugh. Mm. Because it's literally just like, this is so almost pathetic mm. <laughs> that yeah. this is what this is coming to that yeah. I can't... There's nothing else I can do about it. And I think... That's what we we find ourselves in a lot. I mean, especially now that we're rotating in the hospitals, it's very difficult because you spend a lot of your time. What do you call it? Watch, watchful waiting. Mm. But we we just you know majority of the time we spend like we're waiting around for things to happen and we're waiting for our doctors and that has that speaks to you know our system being completely uh, what's the word? It's strained. Yeah, it's yeah. very strange. It's completely strained. And so a lot of the time, you know, we're put under, you can be put under immense amounts of pressure and you can be put under um, like no pressure at all. And it's kind of just like these two contrasts that you're constantly dealing mm, with. Pulled between. So despite some of the humorous and sometimes ridiculous situations we find ourselves in as medical students and as doctors, the nature of this degree, it's not a forgiving one. So what exactly about studying medicine makes it so tough in all spheres of our lives, especially pertaining to our own mental health? And I think this is a really important topic because I think a lot of people struggle with it as medical students and maybe more so now, but there's there's not enough talk around it and there's not enough understanding about it. But I think it starts early on as a matric a matriculant, like choosing what you want to go into. And I think people often choose medicine not really fully wanting it, not yeah. really understanding completely what it will entail in terms of the degree itself and then also working in that environment later on so immediately a lot of people go into the undergraduate degree being unsure yeah and it's going into a degree that's really demanding academically and demanding with time with this uncertainty it can really like cause a lot of problems you it can cause resentment people will wonder if it's really the right choice for them, if they should be going through with it. And that already, it adds a lot more strain onto what is already a, a strenuous degree. Yeah. And as I said, adding that to the intense academic content and the hours of studying and the hours of now that you guys are experiencing, like being in the hospital, so having your like morning yeah. rotation and then your afternoon block, two separate topics, like it's just you are really spread thin. No, definitely, and and a lot is expected of you. Yeah. Um, as a student, I think this the whole the things that really make medicine tough, specifically for me, for instance, is definitely uh, this feeling of help helplessness. Mm. 
because of what we are seeing in South Africa in our public health. It's shocking. It really, really is. Majority of what we see is a symptom of a much larger problem, Mm. you know, um, pertaining to specifically our drug abusers. We have a lot of drug addicts, IV drug addict users in South Africa and all the health problems that come with that. And that just comes from, you know, their socioeconomic backgrounds and their upbringing and their life and all the pain that they have been through. But a lot of it does essentially come down to poverty. You know, Mm. these people... They're not able to look after themselves because they don't have the funding or the resources to be able to do that. That's why we're dealing with hypertensives and diabetics and, you know, cancers that have gone way too far. And we see really, we see like the end of the spectrum, the worst of the worst sometimes. And I think that that for me is something that is very difficult because it didn't have to be this way. Mm. You know, it this could have been intervened. We could have had an intervention at an, at an earlier time. Mm. Um, so I think that's something that I've always felt very sad about. But you also have to learn to dissociate. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is when I came into med school, I really didn't. It is not what you think it is. Like, I think Joey can comment on that. It is, it is really not what you think it is. Couldn't agree more. I mean, when you're matriculant and you're like, oh, when you get that, I don't know when they release who gets in or something. I think it was like August sometime. Mm-hmm. I think it was a matric. Yeah. And you're like, great, I'm going to go study medicine. And then you get to this degree and the longer you're in it, the more you realize this is not what I expect. This is not fabulous. This is not. No, you're not just saving lives. You know, that's not the, that's not the reality of it at all. Mm-hmm. It definitely has. It's ups, it's got its downs, it's got its interesting parts. But speaking about those downs, Cade, could you give us some, some advice? What do you, what did you do to look after your own mental health as a student or just, just to stay sane sometimes in the more, more difficult time? So a bit of a cliche answer and everyone always speaks about this, but balance is really, really important. Yeah. Um, you have to find the time to study. You have to find the time to relax. You have to find the time for family, for friends, for, going out for exercising I think that was really important and also something that's very difficult to actually get right yeah (laughs) it's something that I'm still struggling to get right you know Um, easier said than done yeah much easier said than done and I think balance definitely important but going back to what Debbie was saying as well about that feeling of helplessness I mean I'm no expert on public health and what the situation is fully like in our primary healthcare setting I, I experience a bit of it but I'm no professional but I think an uh, important way of dealing with it as well is that you have to understand sometimes that there is nothing you can do. Yeah. And mm. that is also part of being a doctor. Yeah. Is that it, the other part of being a doctor is having those hard conversations and providing care and comfort in another way, mm. not necessarily medical or surgical and mm. fixing the problem. Sometimes mm. you really just have to connect with that human aspect and have a genuine conversation and connect with the patient on more of a spiritual level, essentially, yeah, and provide care and comfort that way. And I think that's not something we taught in med school, but I think acknowledging that and appreciate, appreciating that um, helps you to deal with that feeling of helplessness better. Because no, you, definitely. you're able to then realize that, yeah, medically I cannot do anything for this patient. They have a terminal illness. But, but emotionally. But emotionally I can maybe bring a bit of comfort or with their condition I can bring some understanding or some education and immediately that just can transform the 
experience. the overall care of yeah. the patient. Yeah. So even though we feel help, helpless in a medical or a surgical way in terms of treatment, there's other options and there's other ways we can we can help the patients. And that that has also proved comforting to me. And in times where you're struggling mentally or emotionally with a patient or experiences that you're having at the hospital, you you can just take a step back and say, I'm one person. I have two hands and one brain and maybe at three o'clock in the morning on call, maybe half a brain. (laughs) Limited brain cells available. (laughs) But you just accept that and you take one patient at a time. And whether that's providing medical care or surgical care or counseling, a lot of our job is counseling. Yeah. You do that and you do it one step at a time. And then obviously looking after yourself as well in, in your home environment, debriefing appropriately, having your own balance, your own outlets, and also trying not to take work home, which is yeah, difficult. Trying things, to things, do, things do stick with us. You experience things that are very emotionally taxing and you'll get home and you'll think, oh, I should have done this or maybe I could have done that better. Mm. Or you'll be worried about a patient that you had seen. And, you, you know, it, it is difficult sometimes to switch off completely, but it's something that you have to actively practice all the yeah. time to keep yourself sane. And by doing that, you can then provide a better service. And I think so it's it's better. just learning, you know, medicine it cannot be your entire identity. Mm. It really, it, and it shouldn't be. Like it's a, it's it's a wonderful profession. It's a beautiful profession. But if it if it is the end all and be all of who you are, you are going to really struggle. Mm. It is going to be a really difficult time mm. for you. And it is learning. You know, as you were saying, just sometimes you have to accept. Okay, cool. I can't do what I would like to do, but I can provide a care in another sort of way. And I think that's. Just helping medical students understand that because I think a lot of us don't. A lot of us are just like, this is the problem that we need to solve and we can't solve this problem, so therefore we failed. And that's not actually always the case. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, What you were saying now about as well, that medicine can't become your whole identity. I think for me, that was also my experience as well in medical school, going into med school, being unsure, is this for me? Is this what I want to do? So... I agree with you. It cannot be your whole identity, but I think you also need to really take the field on, take it by the horns and incorporate it into the type of person that you are definitely, and what you want to provide. And you sort of then in a way start to practice your own like brand of medicine or your own way of doing things. So it doesn't consume your life. You incorporate it into your life. And And it is a big part. It's a big part of your life. It's something you can't deny it. Definitely. need to incorporate it and make your... Do what works for you at mm. the end of the day. I like what you said earlier, almost like where you touched about knowing your limits yeah. of how, where I'm a person with two hands and a brain. Mm. I think that's, that's really a message some of our, our listeners should, yeah, should be should aware really, about. Yeah. Kate, could you pinpoint some of the most difficult times? Can you remember a specific time? Maybe it's in med school, maybe as an intern that you faced. And can you tell us a bit more about this and why? Mm. So yeah, how, it, how you got through it. Yeah, so it ties into that comment on having two hands <laughs> in the brain. And it's a very silly way of saying it, but it just brings you down to the moment. And the reason I started to say that was because of these tough times I was experiencing in Obzinkani as an intern, which I was rotating through at the end of last year, so the last mm-hmm. four months of, of 2019. The, the patient load at Rahima Musa Hospital for mostly obstetrics, but gynecology as well is really, really high. and as a way of almost like bringing comfort to myself and the other intern that would be on for 
obstetrics because you'd be completely overwhelmed. There'd be a pile of 20 patients that needed to be seen and there would be 30 patients waiting in the admissions ward for space in the actual ward to receive yeah. the care they needed. Like it was just Crazy. completely overloaded. And I would always stop the other intern and I would say, we each have two hands and we have one brain. We deal with one patient at a time and that's all we can do. But yeah, the reason I'm mentioning this again is because the most challenging f- thing for me was that time being in Obzingani. The hours were just unreal. <laughs> it was like coming to work, staying at work for like 30 hours, going home, sleeping, waking up, going to work the next day. Sure. And then the next time you're on call, you're doing the 30 hour shift again. It's really exhausting. It's tiring. Oh, those are insane you, hours. Yeah, you struggle to look after yourself. You're trying, trying to provide care for other people. You can barely feed but, yourself. Yeah, but you, exactly. You, you're barely feeding yourself. You, you're hanging on by a thread and you're trying to like help this pile of 20 patient mm. files that are, that are waiting wow. to people be People that really need you. Yeah, yeah. So that for me, that was so far the time, like in my internship thus far, that was really a time where I battled and... I was like, sure. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> time out. Yeah, time out. And, and four months is not a short time to be doing this. Exactly. I mean, like, we that's, had that's one a- month of Obsimkani last year and we're like, this is enough. <laughs> yeah. We had barely any responsibility. I mean, yeah. What were we actually doing? Took some light. Yeah, no, it, it is tough. But you also grow a lot through that process. You, you have to look after yourself. You have to, otherwise you'll completely break down and you won't make it to the end. Yeah. But you also grow a lot from that. Like just, although obviously the pathology and stuff with obstetrics is very limited. It's a very set group of pathologies. You, I learned very quickly to think on my feet and to be more independent as a doctor and to make calls, make decisions, not to always have a registrar to come and back you. I mean, I'm, I'm at an academic hospital where luckily there is supervision. I'm very yeah. grateful for it. Yeah. But it was also, an important time to just start to exercise your own independence as as a yeah. doctor or a medical practitioner. And I'm sure that's something important to start doing, especially depending on where you're going to do your comserve. You could literally be in a rural hospital somewhere where you're making those calls. So you need to start somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So, And the whole of internship, that has sort of been a, it's always a thought in the back of your mind that one day I'm not going to have the senior to help me. All or, on you. Or anyone <laughs> to call. Yeah, it's, it's all going to be me. So you always sort of have that in the back of your mind in internship and you, you use it to try and just slowly but surely start becoming more independent and start yeah, making decisions confidence. by yourself. Exactly, yeah. Because it's a practice. So what specific challenges have you identified and personally faced working in our public healthcare system? I mean, obviously you've mentioned a completely overwhelmed mm. healthcare system, but mm. is there anything else that, you know, you've faced that's been quite quite tough for you? So obviously the first thing that comes to mind and that most people will probably mention is the resource limitations. And that's mm. not only like equipment and stuff, it's human resources. Mm. You really spread thin with the amount of nurses, the amount of doctors that are working, and that obviously becomes very taxing. But on a positive note for that question, what you what I found comes from that is really amazing teamwork and awesome relationships with the nurses and the physios and the OTs and Everyone that's working together to help the people that need the help, it's it's been really cool to experience that. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but as a medical student, I didn't really experience that sort of thing. No. <laughs> I was there like to you just maybe clock the patient. And, you're kind of thrown into the deep end as a medical student. You're out of place all of the time. Yeah. You really, you, I, I personally feel out of place all of the time, you know. 
it's you don't know who's who you don't know how things work yeah you kind of just have to hit the ground running constantly you're not a fully integrated member of that team yet you're kind of just a string at the back like you could do this (laughs) you'll see when you start to do your internship that you really do feel part of a team and and it's it's just a positive feeling to that that strain on having few human resources that you really do actually then group together and you make it happen it's encouraging it's, to yeah you. it's, it's like almost like a camaraderie in a way yeah, yeah. i mean i think the barra interns will probably experience it the most because <laughs> they really have to like come together as a team Bit of a battleground yeah yeah, yeah sure battlefield another silly one as well is language barriers oh yes um, it, it sounds well it sounds silly but it's really important i think a lot of us especially the white population of south africa we are not multilingual and we all. should be. And the majority of our official languages are African languages, and most white people cannot even speak one African yeah. language. And can barely do a greeting. Yeah, can barely do a greeting. And the tricky thing with languages is it's not something you can just have a one lecture on and then you know how to speak Zulu or Sutu. Like it's something that you have to constantly practice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at least they're doing something about it and yeah. they're, they're trying to cultivate this attitude of that you do need to know other languages and you need to be able to speak them not only for history taking i mean obviously that's important but it, you also get respect from patients and respect from other healthcare workers if you yeah. greet them and speak to them in their own language so yeah that's one thing that i've really found i like wish i could speak all the languages but, <laughs> but it's difficult and then obviously patients as well that come from other african countries that don't even speak South African languages yeah. or English, and then you really stump. Like <laughs> trying to get someone to Google consent, translate. Google yeah, translate trying that. to get someone to consent for an emergency Caesar, and you like can't speak a word of their language. They can't speak a word of yeah. yours. That that's also been quite a interesting thing to grapple with in the public mm. hospital. Yes, how do, how do you even start to deal with that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like sign language, <laughs> bring yeah. the scalpel. Like yes, no. <laughs> so it is. It's like sign language and asking all the nurses in all the wards if anyone can speak this language and if they can come and help. And eventually you do find a way around it and you find a way to, you like take the patient's cell phone and you phone a family member who can speak English or whatever. Yeah. And they, they often help you. They'll say, no English, like phone this person or whatever. Okay, at least. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's absolutely pivotal that we as medical students, when we afforded this opportunity to, we do study other languages at University of Pretoria Medical. We have Zulu and, and there's Sepedi as well. But to actually take these blocks seriously, because a lot of times they're done at the end of the year mm. or just squished in an extra week or two and, so and no one tired. takes it seriously. Mm. And we're yeah. more worried about your th- more theoretical blocks like actual medical science blocks exactly yeah exactly there's a reason that it's in the curriculum it's it's worth exactly it's worth studying but yeah the nature of languages is that you have to practice them definitely and we have quite a limited time but i think it's something that everyone needs to take responsibility for for Mm. themselves Mm. essentially at the end of the day i think it comes with deciding what type of doctor you want to be Mm. Cade, if you could give your younger self any advice let's say a matric version of yourself just before you were heading to medical school and a End of the sixth year self, what advice would you give to those younger kids? <laughs> I think to really, from the get-go, take yourself in hand and master yourself and take the challenges that you're experiencing on actively. If you're not sure it's what you want to study, why? Identify why. Figure out why. Look into things that you do enjoy about it or the way you feel you can make it an appropriate degree or appropriate practice for yourself. Really being 
active in your learning and gaining knowledge, whether it's medical or not medical. Like you just have to, it's this constant process of reflecting on who you are and actively incorporating what you're learning and the direction you're going, the type of career you're going to be having. You have to, it's an active process. That yeah. That's the advice I have is that from the get-go, be active about it. And that can be in any way that works for you. For me, it was reading my own material and reflecting on that and figuring out how I could make this work for me. But awesome. for other people, it could be listening to podcasts like this, which is very beneficial. For mm. other people, it can be a completely other creative outlet or it can be studying something on the side or yeah. working somewhere. Like you just have to, don't be put off by it. Don't be despondent. Those problems that you're experiencing and those issues that you feel, the struggles and the confusion. Yeah, that will occur at its It stage. will occur and it's occurring for a reason and you have to reflect on it, identify it and and figure it out. Take it on actively. Read experience do more of this do more of less of that you know you you'll yeah. figure it out as you go but don't um be a victim to what you're feeling and what you're experiencing but uh, realize that it's there for a reason yes. and mm. you can take it on actively and use it in a beneficial way so i think i only started doing that in around like fourth year when i sort of like moved out of res and i was like okay now i really need to like <laughs> figure out what's going on because i don't have many years left of this protected environment and I yeah. had to so I started it quite late but I think it can only be beneficial from starting early and continuously carrying on with that I still do it now as an intern yeah reflecting on what I'm doing every day how I can change it great how I can be better do more of this do less of that yeah it's <laughs> an active process of change and growth so I think it's I think you know wrapping up the conversation I think it's been really powerful and this I think this is a very powerful conversation that has been had and just to help people understand you know specifically as medical students you are going to face tough times you are going to face difficult times you have to decide what type of doctor you want to be mm. and you have to decide what impact you want to make and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day and it's okay it's okay to feel depressed it's okay to feel anxious it's okay to feel like you don't want to do this anymore um but speak up about it uh, and i think that's that's the message that we're trying to get across is it, it's fine to speak up about it and it's fine to you know address the very um negative and difficult things that you're going through as well as the happy things celebrate the good things um so yeah i think that being said um okay thank you so much thank you so much for coming in of course um Thanks we have, <laughs> we have a just to lighten the mood. We have a a, a brilliant question we need to ask. Was you. this one not on the script? <laughs> this one. On the <laughs> what script are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Cade, here's the scenario, right? Mm. You go to spa to buy yourself some groceries. You touch a dirty card machine. Mm. You contract COVID nineteen. Mm -hmm. You're Priceless. tested positive <laughs> and you have to self-isolate. Mm. You're put in a small room with a single window. There's a TV and a music player and you've got access to Uber Eats on your phone. That's the oh, only great. app. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only app you have. Now, you need to tell me what film, one film are you going to be watching? What one artist are you going to be listening to? What restaurant are you going to be ordering on Uber Eats? You only get one. <laughs> and what book are you going to be reading? Awesome. Okay. So, in terms of a movie, I'll be watching Drive oh, over and over love again. Love it. 
I don't know why. There's just something about that movie that I just can't wrap my head around. And yeah. I think that's why I enjoy it so much is because mm. you just want to watch it over and over again. So definitely my movie. Sign of a good movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so my movie would be Drive. Um, our artist would be the national, without a doubt, any day. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like speaking my language over here. <laughs> and then, yo, Uber Eats, that's a good one because I could literally eat anything. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> I think that's all of us. Yeah. Like sushi, pizza, whatever was available, I would order. But wait, what was the last one? Was an, oh, yeah, a book. A book. Before Ooh. you get to your book, what, what's, if you had to choose only one restaurant that's available? One on restaurant. One restaurant. Could be a fast food place. Yeah, I think it would be like Doppio Zero Pizza. Ooh, okay, yeah. good choice. <laughs> and then at least you still have a variety with the pizza. Yeah, you can have the seafood one if you're yeah. feeling a bit adventurous, yeah. you know, just like or classic Hawaiian for those boring. Exactly, uh, veggie, veggie when you're feeling healthy. <laughs> so yeah, that, I think that would be my restaurant choice. And my book choice, without a doubt, would be The Fountainhead by Anne Rand. Oh, that's yeah. a lovely book. I actually read it a few, yeah. a few months ago, no, December holidays. Yeah, so that, that book I found was also just really indispensable to me, like, and figuring out that you had to now, like, take yourself into your own hands. and sure. Exactly, and something that you things. spoke about earlier, actually. Yeah, so that, that was a really pivotal book for me, so I'd love to read it again. But at least with isolation, I'd have time, because it's quite quick, <laughs> and the writing is very small. So. It is. <laughs> it is. It took some time. No, Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure having thanks, you on the show. Thanks so much. I appreciate yeah, it. No, th- thanks, for, thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for the really amazing advice that you've given and just like kind of wisdom that you've imparted upon us and our listeners mm-hmm. and we just want to thank our listeners as well for tuning into to today's show or going giving it a listen yeah just uh give us a follow on instagram facebook twitter drop us a comment give us a like if you have any questions for Cade, let us know i'm sure he'll be more than happy to give you a give you a reply anytime yeah and tune in next week guys we we can't wait thanks so much yeah. Bye. Bye, guys.